Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We are on top of Manchester and Sheffield. So we're heading to Amsterdam. We are. How are you feeling about it? I know nothing of Amsterdam. I didn't know where it was, and now I do. Explain devotion to me. Mm. By what I I know my meaning of devotion mostly, but what is yours? Devotion is this mix of love and commitment. And yeah, what is it to you? It is giving yourself over to helping someone. What's making you think about devotion? Well, we're leaving our family. And you were really nice to me when I was feeling miserable and ill on the plane earlier. Mm-hmm. So, I'm thinking about devotion. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Moxie. Instead of fussing and fighting, why not just get together and live in one love and one identity, you know? Welcome to season three of Raising Rebels, which we are affectionately calling Survival Pending Revolution. I have had the opportunity to speak to such thoughtful, reflective, creative parents this season. Um, And we're starting strong with Matika Wilbur, a mother, activist, artist, just an amazing spirit. She has so much to teach us, so much that I've learned from talking with her. And also this season, I'm going to be sharing a lot of my story um, and where we are now, which is Amsterdam. I've grabbed up my rebels and headed off right before lockdown started. And we are learning a lot about what it really means to be free Um, and how you access that freedom as oppressed people in this world. And so stay tuned to the end where I'll have more to share. Um, Let's get started. Hi, I'm Nolika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. Today, we're talking about reclaiming our past, as we try to step into the future, especially thinking about this time that we're in during um, this pandemic and all that comes with it. And I am really kind of honored and feeling so incredibly blessed Mm -hmm. to be welcoming Matika Wilbur. Is that right? (laughs) I, I, I botch names often and I just like check me if you need to check me. Um, I'm like, I feel like we're, it's the first conversation we're ever having, so we don't know each other yet, but I am extremely hopeful at the end we will know each other very well. 
Um, so we like to start the podcast by sharing one word to describe how you're feeling about yourself. <sighs> Today, I'm I'm feeling. Um... I feel like a cookie monster. <laughs> like I just can't get enough cookies. I just, I need, I need more. You know, I'm like that. I yeah. like, I feel like I'm like in a trash can. And I'm like, oh wait, you got, you got cookies. <laughs> mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm just stuck in this house and I need out and I, <laughs> like, I need some joy and love and mm-hmm. friends and yeah. So I feel a little like a cookie monster today. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever said that before. That makes sense. I'm feeling... It's so interesting because I'm feeling very... What's I don't even have words for it, but like I'm traveling, like a traveler. <laughs> because we're literally in... Right now, I'm in Amsterdam. You are on the West Coast of the US. We are very, very far from each other, but we are together right now. So I feel a little bit like... Like I'm moving. I feel like like I'm floating. And I just got to see your beautiful baby, which also has me feeling lifted in some ways. Um, so Matika, tell the people about yourself. Hasla uh, Hale, good morning. Matika Sitsta, that's the host chat, Twelta Tutlela, Twelta Swinamish, good at. Good day, everybody. I'm Matika Wilbur, and I'm from the Swinomish and Tlaylip people. And I'm a photographer. I'm a storyteller. You know, I make films. I make podcasts. I write. And I'm uh, from born from the people of the tide. That's what it means to be Swinomish. And mm-hmm. so I, I would say I belong to these people, and it, it makes me who I am. And I live, I live in that way. And I'm really happy to be here today. Yay. Um, tell us about your your person, your child. Oh, my baby. <laughs> we just <laughs> we have a new baby. <laughs> Her mm-hmm. name is Alma B. And uh, she got that name because when I was in my third trimester, we were having, we were just like, I don't know about you, but it was so hard to pick a name. It was like, we were just... Mm-hmm. We looked at the baby name books. I was praying. I was asking all the elders and nothing was really coming to me. So finally one night, and it was a really hot night, and I was very pregnant in Southern California. And I was like, all right, look, baby, we got to figure this out, you know? <laughs> and so my partner said to my belly, he said, hey, uh, tell your mom what you want your name to be. And so that night I had a dream that bees came into the apartment and they were swarming all around our bed and they landed on my belly and they started stinging me. And I was like, what are you doing? Um, in bee talk, right? Because I, I talk bee in my dreams. And the <laughs> nice. bees talked back and said, we're giving your baby bee medicine. Mm. And um, I said, okay proceed you know and then i woke up and and i said babe we got to get the bees out of their bed we can't be sleeping with bees and he was like what and i started like you know turn the lights on flipped up on the covers and so that's how she got that name and i think that's the kind of spirit she has you know i think she has really good medicine and uh, she's really really strong spirited and she really loves to love on people you know like she will always, she greets people, which I find really interesting, you know, like we've been in pandemic, we don't get to see a lot mm-hmm. of folks, but um, when my mom comes over, you know, certain people, she's just like 
she will, I find it so interesting that she knows already how to, um, how to pe- like share her medicine. So I think of her mm. like that. Yeah. What has surprised you the most about becoming a parent? Um, well, you know, I wasn't really prepared to become a mama, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I've been traveling in an RV for the last 10 years and I was planning on having kids at some point, but I didn't think it would happen now. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, I'm, we're having a baby, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess my life has to change, you know, and it it's dramatically shifted. <laughs> I now live in a house and with a partner and we're growing a garden and it feels suddenly very domestic. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and my life went from like, oh, okay, we'll be in New Zealand one month and next and then we'll be in Brooklyn and then, you know, we'll be in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And then, and now it's like, mm-hmm. okay, no, I'm here. But I was not prepared for the love. I got to tell you, you know, like there, mm. I, I thought I was reading all these New Yorker articles and I thought that I was going to become like one of those women with terrible postpartum depression, which is real. And I know a lot of people experience it. And I thought that I was going to have a baby and not recognize her and she wouldn't feel like mine. And I thought I would resent her. Um, And I just figured because, you know, I I think I'm just generally built that way where I'm just kind of grumpy. I just thought like, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to like this child. There's no way, Mm -hmm. you know, and then she came out and. And I was like, oh, no, you're my baby, you know, and mm-hmm. I just I had this great big love welled up inside of me that I'd never I was not prepared for. I thought I'd love mm-hmm. to the full extent that love is, you know, with mm-hmm. with all my mm-hmm. with all my lovers. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, it just wasn't like that. It was like- <laughs> different. It's some different shit. It's different. I understand. I understand. I understand. Yeah. And it just gets bigger. It's just like this level of abundance that who knew? Who knew? Um, so today we're going to be talking about really the future that we're in right now um, and how we are stepping into that future while continuing to reclaim, which for so many of us as oppressed people has been a stolen um like a mistelling, a kind of quieting of our past. And so it's like you're trying to, we're trying to do multiple things at the same time. Um, And so when I was thinking about the future and manifesting that future, um, claiming it, it made me think a lot about dreams and how when you, you know, I've been in therapy for a while. And one of the things that my ther- therapist told me, I'd go and be like, I had this dream last night and I know it's my husband. He's an asshole. Look, I told you he did this thing in a dream. And my therapist would be like, no, you are all parts of your dream. So you're your husband in the dream. You're you. You're the chair. Like it's your entire subconscious coming. I know it pissed me off. It's your entire subconscious coming to tell you something, to actually teach you something, to share something with you. And (laughs) that idea of a dream being a manifestation has kind of really stuck with me. And I really want us to manifest this future. Um, And so I asked you to um, do a recollection. And we do recollections because very often when we think about ourselves as parents, we think about us as ourselves like from an adult place and these children being like, 
very foreign or different or like how we parent them. But actually, if we want to connect, we need to think about who we were as children and like what was real for us. And the more we can get in touch with our childhood selves, the more we're going to be able to be in real community, which I think is the pathway to freedom, right? Mm. Um, With our young people. And so I ask you to try your best to push as far back in your memory as you can um, and recollect a dream. And it could be like a dream that was a dream that you had during sleeping hours or it could be an aspiration or something you dreamed of as a child. So can you share your story with us? Well, um, on the dream front, I just want to say really quickly that last night I had this wild dream that um, that I was trying to go overseas somewhere and I was in New York and I was with my partner and the baby and the plane was about to leave. And so we had to leave our luggage, which we've actually had to do before, but we left our luggage. We go and we get on the plane and we get on the plane and it was this plane that was like, um, it was customizable to your ass, but also to your class. And so um, I got on the plane and my seat was like too small for my ass. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? And then I look over and LeBron James was there. And LeBron James had this humongous, like, king-size seat. And I was like, LeBron, you should switch with me. I have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, my knees are bigger. And I was like, your knees? And I was, you know, getting into it with LeBron James. Perfect. And so I think I have this. I'm actually kind of mad with LeBron. Like, how come he gets to be tested for coronavirus and and everybody else doesn't? You know, like, mm-hmm. why do the celebrities and all those folks get that opportunity and we don't? You know, and mm-hmm. anyway, that's a that's a whole nother neither here nor there. But the I um, mean, it's, you're, you're LeBron in that dream too, according to my therapist. <laughs> I wonder what you pissed off about. We don't get into it. Go ahead, tell us your recollection. Sorry. Yeah, but I'm gonna tell you. You know, I am. Um, I don't know that as a child, I can think back and remember any of my delightful dreams. You know, like I would like to be able to say like when I was a child, I dreamed of becoming a superhero or a firefighter or a photographer. Um, I remember thinking as a child that I hope that I get to live, you know, Mm -hmm. and I remember the scary dreams and I remember the trauma. Um, and that's, that's I think, a, a big part of what has an impression on me. I'm really, I'm really distracted because Alma keeps crying. Let me tell Quinna to bring her to me. Hold on really quick. Sorry. No, go for it. She could be here. That'd be so good. When I think of, like, <sighs> when I think of my dreams of as a child, I think of, like, dreaming of safety. And I think that that, like, kind of really... Um, not that my home was unsafe, but the res can be an unsafe place. And mm-hmm. I remember feeling very scared, especially because my mom was a commercial fisherman and she would go out to, um, out to this, out onto the sea, you know, for days at a time. And I would have to stay with relatives <laughs> and that, um, I was always really scared that she wasn't going to come back. I also remember as a child, my mom, like, trying to get me to sleep in my own bed. And I remember that I would go to her bed in the middle of the night and sleep at the foot of her bed. And 
because her um, her husband didn't want me to sleep with them. And so I remember just wanting my mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that there's like, for centuries, our people in our longhouses, we weren't separated from our children, you know? And like the work of colonization is the work of separation. And yeah. And that when we were taken from our parents and brought to boarding schools, it left inside of us this trauma that has that that historical trauma that we keep passing down to generation and generation that um, I think lives inside of us. It's this fear that we're going to lose our parents. And I think that that that's a part of the, the colonial experience. And I think I felt that as a child, even though I wouldn't have known how to describe that. I just wanted my mom. And so for me now as a parent, I have like very consciously decided that I'm going to almost just going to stay with me. You know, she's going to stay with me in my bed Mm -hmm. and she's going to stay with me um, to raise her. You know, I'm not, Mm -hmm. and I know not everybody's in that position. So I'm not saying that's, that's what people should do, but it's something that is really important to me. Mm -hmm. It's, this is this 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 show because I promise you what you're saying like resonates so much with me also because um, when I was thinking about a dream that I had when I was a young person the thing that came to me like right away was dreaming of my parents being together and so. You know, I come from my parents separated when I must have been four years old, like, you know, like four, four and a half. And I remember like this faint feeling of always wanting or hoping or dreaming that they would get back to like they would be in the house together again. Like they would fall back in love that like by some magical Disney moment, um, they would kind of realize that, oh, right, we're supposed to be together. And I don't know when that dream died. Like, I don't know when it was just like faded away out of my consciousness. Um, But I know that when I thought about it and I was like, what's a dream I had when I was a kid? It wasn't, you know, and it came from a place of real longing and real trauma you know like we're just saying like it's, and it's interesting that those are the things that stay with us and kind of shape our dreams and what we long for and thinking about you know stepping into our future now so much of what I think we're shaping is such a reaction to the trauma of what we've experienced as oppressed people um, and trying to figure out how to either reject that trauma or kind of heal it. And I want to shape our future based on like what we desire. What is your strongest memory from March 11th? (sighs) My strongest memory would be crying in the back seat with you guys mm-hmm. I was crying in the back seat but just before we left Atu 
which was auntie's boyfriend and mm-hmm. Rise's dad, he, he led us through a prayer. Mm-hmm. And it was like a feeling, you could feel it like change. It was almost tangible. Mm-hmm. It's like, you could feel it in the words he was saying and in the tears we were crying. These were tears of change. Mm-hmm. And we had just created, like we were talking earlier about, a new normal at mm-hmm. grandma's house. Mm-hmm. We'd wake up. And she'd be there upstairs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was changing. Mm-hmm. I honestly, that moment, of, it's funny you say that, because I think that's my strongest moment of that time. Two feelings that are the strongest for me is saying goodbye to grandma. I don't think I ever, I can't remember hugging and crying in my mother's arms like that in my like memory I imagine it felt like what it must have been like to cry in your mother's arm when you're like one years old or two years old or like like you just just let it all happen right there and like you're vulnerable and the love is so like it's everything like you can feel it um and I that I will never I mean, I'm so happy to have had that moment. Like, I let—I remember, like, letting myself go there. Like, just, like, I'm going to just, I'm going to let myself have this feeling right now. And grandma let herself have her feelings, and she was like, my mommy. Um, and that was powerful. And then the feeling of walking out of the airport in Amsterdam is one of the strongest feelings I, I have. Too. Yeah, I will ever have I just felt a lightness like it felt like putting you know like you come home and you take off your shoes and you take off your bra and you like just just take it all off you're just like relax I literally felt that walked out that airport breathed in the air and was like (sighs) yeah felt different it felt different it felt it felt like freedom it was so nice it was so nice And so I guess my first question to you is, what do you desire for? I've been really thinking about that. Um, I think a week after Alma was born, I called my uncle and I was really upset. I said, you know, I just realized that I'm going to have to figure out how to raise Alma without passing on this intergenerational trauma. And so... You know, Mm -hmm. being the journalist that I am, I started calling all of the people that I know who raised healthy kids. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. And that's a good place to start. That's a good place to start. This woman, Jolene Joseph, she runs a program called Native Wellness Institute. And she said to me something that just really resonated. She said, um, Intergenerational trauma and historical trauma presents itself as chronic negativity. And chronic negativity is the manifestation of trauma. And from there, it turns into all of these other things like chronic illness, like obesity and diabetes and, you know, the Mm -hmm. chronic behavior that Mm -hmm. develops all of the sickness and alcoholism and drug addiction and abuse and 
But at the core of all of that is Mm -hmm. chronic negativity. And so the way that we overcome Mm -hmm. intergenerational trauma is by being chronically positive in our regular interactions. And I've been really thinking about that and trying my hardest to consciously imagine a chronically positive home environment. And I've been thinking of, the other night I was on a Zoom meeting with a a group of ladies and they asked, what is your first memory? And almost all of the women in that room, including myself, had a traumatic first memory. And for me, it was my parents fighting and being scared Mm -hmm. in a closet. That's like the first thing I can remember. But my partner's first memory is being bounced and sang to on his dad's lap. And I thought, isn't that just the most beautiful thing? And so I've been thinking about how can I structure Mm -hmm. my life in, in a positive way so that she has a different experience. And that's much easier mm-hmm. said than done, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, because because the because the world is always coming at you, you know. There's always a lot to there's always life to deal with, and and um, mm-hmm. and so it's like, yeah, yeah. We've used that kind of we've used that. It's, I mean, it's not even necessarily. I don't think we necessarily always see it as like negativity, but we use that kind of armor to protect ourselves to move through this world. And so you have this child and this baby and you know that moving through the world with like being in relationship with them, you don't want that to be how they receive you. But it's really hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like really hard because that's what you've had to do f- for yourself for so long. Yeah. Um, but that makes I completely hear and agree with that sentiment of what we really have to do is put it mm-hmm. down and not let our joy be stolen mm-hmm. from us. Um, and babies help with that because they're just so happy. They're so happy. And I've been thinking a lot about the way that we talk to one another in my home. You know, like this where I live in Tlalip, there was a boarding school here for, you know, nearly a hundred years. And it was, it was wow. ran by nuns and, you know, the way that they spoke to the children was so mean. I don't know how else to sell it. It was just, it was really mean. And it, my my grandma mm-hmm. had stories of like, of them washing her knees over and over and over again until they bled because she wasn't clean enough because her knees were dark, too dark, you know? And mm-hmm. um, I think of like that, the loveless experience of, of that go every day. And then my grandmother becoming a mother and the way that she raised her children. Mm -hmm. And it was with a very stern voice, you know, and there was a lot of, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of command involved in the way that a lot of, I think, indigenous people parent their children. And Mm -hmm. it's a very authoritative. And there's a lot of, it's like, it's very crime and punishment. And a, and a lot of that mm-hmm. has to do with our, I know it's related to our loveless experience in boarding schools. And mm-hmm. so I've been thinking then the decolonized version of that is speaking with love. I can say the same thing with love in my voice. You know, I can, 
It does. Mm-hmm. It can be said with anger or it can be said with love. And so I've been thinking about how to put a little sweetness on it, you know, add a, add a little mm-hmm. sugar, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. how far that goes mm-hmm. in, in almost mm-hmm. all my interactions. You know, I can put a little sugar on mm-hmm. it. I don't, I can, you know, and, and that's, um, that's what I've been working on personally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like absolutely. Um, yes. And I think part of what is hard about the putting the sugar on it and so many things that we really have to like let go, you know what I mean? Like recognize that that is not part of the future we're trying to build for ourselves and for our children is that, it's hard to know where it's hard to know where we like what we've internalized, Mm. you know, like it's very, like you just said, like I can clearly know that my grandmother had this experience and it has shaped how she interacted with me and my mom, like how it came to me. But for so many of us, I think there's a way that we don't know what is us and what is the socialization, what is the colonization? Um, I think we understand it sometimes when we think about histories and like how structures are made and how like we think about white supremacy from the spe- the perspective like no you know you want to be like white people but we don't think about it as a way of thinking mm. and that it has infected all of us in how we think. And so what has been really surprising to me as we you know this Thing happened, right? We're in this pandemic now. Uh, I constantly am thinking about what are the gifts that Corona is trying to give me. Like, what are what is the Corona gifts that I like? What is what is Corona trying to to give me? Um, and there's so many lessons. There's so many lessons, and there's so much like things that have come are coming out of this time. There's a lot of sorrow and a lot of hard things also, but there's like a lot of things that are coming out of this time that are really positive and helping me shape the future that I want. And when I'm having conversations with friends and like people I connect with, I'm constantly surprised by their unwillingness to let go of things that existed pre-corona. Even those those structures, those times, those places were harmful and you knew they were harmful at the time, but there's a way that I want to get back to that sense of normalcy. And like one thing that keeps coming up for me and it, it drives me so crazy is school. It's interesting you're talking about the boarding schools. Um, I'm an educator, worked in all kinds of schools, progressive schools, everything under, under the rainbow. And what I've come to is like, oh, the answer really is unschooling. Actually, schools, the whole system is shot. You know what I mean? Like it is designed to do a particular thing and you can't divorce yourself from it, no matter how much you try. And so, and I get that everyone's not there and, and that there's not only one way of being and they serve a lot of purposes. But whenever I speak to people who I've had so many conversations with around what is wrong or broken in the school system, when we're talking now about, well, this is like people, parents are home with their kids and it's hard and we're figuring out other ways to like teach and learn and all of it. And it's like, yeah, but we got to get back to school. And, you know, black children are going to be like completely never going to be able to catch up on these three months of not being in school. You know, like just these talk of like, but, you know, it's broken, right? Like we've had this conversation and that's just one thing. But I could think of so many structures that I think I find that 
people are having a really hard time parting with, um, even though they know it's not good, even mm-hmm. though it they know it, it doesn't necessarily want to, they don't necessarily want it to be part of the future that we're trying to shape. So, I mean, are you finding, are there things, I guess, or what are the things that you find is the hardest or has surprised you that you're having a hard time with letting go as we transition into this future or whatever we hope to manifest and Mm -hmm. come next. I, you know, I've always had a hard time with that concept of letting go generally because Mm -hmm. there's not a physical manifestation of letting go. You know, I've always like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like this idea, let go, let, let God, let the creator, you know, like, um, but, Mm -hmm. but what, you know, how do I do that? So I just want to preface this by saying that I feel like the action of letting go is, happens through Mm -hmm. prayer and meditation you know like when i have a Mm -hmm. really hard time when i'm having a really hard time with the outcome which is what i think i try the hardest to control when i'm having a really hard time with Mm -hmm. imagining the outcome i real i'm able to remember that i have no control over the outcome and if i and so i pray Mm -hmm. for the willingness to accept the outcome as ever as it will be you know, and I ask the creator to help mm-hmm. me to do everything within my power to be of a good mind and a good heart so that I can um, have this, so I can contribute in a good way. So that's how I like, that's how I think of letting go and holding on and, you know, mm-hmm. um, but this pandemic mm-hmm. is definitely unveiling the weak spot, the weak, the weakness of our society you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely helping us to understand maybe some people for the first time, they're starting to realize that this system of capitalism and this extraction mentality uh, is not sustainable. It, it wasn't before this mm-hmm. started and it won't be after this is over. And, mm-hmm. you know, the virus mutating and making its way into our bodies is the consequence of our own behavior you know of mm-hmm. of us being in a ty- the type of society where we're too close to the types of animals we're not supposed to be that close to you know because we mm-hmm. destroyed the ecosystem that they live in or because we're extracting them and harvesting them and putting them in close proximity to us in ways that we are not supposed to be and so i think we we mm-hmm. have to all fundamentally recognize that we are playing a role in the destruction and fouling of mother earth and mm-hmm. that us having to take a time to pause and be at home with our families is a really good place for us to begin imagining a new reality because the the normal so to speak mm-hmm. that people want to return to is not working for us it's not working for the earth it's not working mm-hmm. for humanity we we know that our people are suffering at higher levels than maybe ever before we don't know that but we know mm-hmm. that we have high levels of intoxication of body and mind and spirit by way of mm-hmm. by way of you know we could go white supremacy, white supremacy. pollutant pollutant <laughs> agents you know we um mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. that we're not we're not well you know and mm-hmm. we're not mm-hmm. safe especially in, in in indigenous communities our women are not safe you know three out of four experience I mean, sexual violence or domestic violence we mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. can't 
be asking for things to return to normal so we can get a haircut. We have to imagine a better reality, a reality that serves more of our people. We have to return to the original teachings of this land, of Turtle Island, um, Mm-hmm. where we lived in societies, matriarchal societies, that believed in taking care of our relationship with land, water, and each other, not just our relationship with mm-hmm. self. And so that's very mm-hmm. esoteric. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard to imagine it when you say, oh, well, how can I actually boil that down into what I should be doing every day? You know, nobody really actually mm-hmm. knows. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the answer is is growing some food and going outside and putting your your feet in the dirt and asking the earth to tell you what you should be doing because the earth will always Mm -hmm. remind us all of our fundamental teachings came from the earth. And so we can always Mm -hmm. return to the earth when we have questions, you know, um, is that going to encourage Mitch McConnell? I don't know. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Donald Trump is encouraging us to, to infect ourselves with, disinfectant it's like what the what what Mm -hmm. you know so it's like there's a large spectrum Mm -hmm. here and it's hard to know but um the answer to that but letting go to me um especially when it comes to taking care of our children is that you know our children are not a burden our children are a gift yeah um yes and yes we have been trained by the colonial construct to believe that it is somebody else's job to take care of our children and it's not Mm-hmm. You know, our mm-hmm. we were given the mm-hmm. gift of parenting, and it's a hard, hard job. I'm so tired. I've never slept less <laughs> in my whole life. But I, I do mean, feel just like what it's you're a, saying, a like that gift. idea that our children are not a burden, is such a like revolutionary idea. It's so counterculture right now. I was like, <laughs> um. All of these, you know, jokes and memes. And I get it. Like the lightening up of what is a really hard time and also a real expression of something that's hard. But all these jokes around like people hiding from their kids in their house or I can't wait to get back, get out the house, go back to school or like Corona's driving crazy. And I keep liking it to wife jokes that suck. You know, what I mean? this idea like my ball and chain and like my wife, like it's the same shit, you know, like the same kind of making the like blaming the victim almost you know like this kind of like the reason why you're unhappy or things aren't well because of these children and we don't respect children that way we don't see them as fully formed human beings you wouldn't allow somebody else to talk about your child that way you would you just wouldn't and there's Mm -hmm. a way that kind of going back to what you were saying around like learning how to like speak kindly to each other in a loving way it's also like this accountability around that our children are people here with us and that we need to be respectful of them. Even when they can't speak, even when they don't have, you know, and I think it's really hard. Well, it points to this larger problem, you know, like I I imagine being my, my, some of my relatives that are in Manhattan right now that are in a 600 square foot apartment that they can't afford and they can't, you know, Mm -hmm. with their children. And it's, it's too small of a space already. You know, and then you add on top of that the stressors of not being able to leave. And I can imagine it becoming this type of environment that is very difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a much different experience, um, you know, for me right now, because I'm still able to go fishing. I'm still able to go hunting. I'm still able to gather. I'm growing food on my land. 
and I'm in this place where I I don't feel confined. Mm-hmm. You know, I I feel like I'm getting to take a vacation from my responsibilities, <laughs> and you know, it's it's been this really beautiful mm-hmm. experience, and I I realize that it's a privilege, but. But that, you know, we have we have made decisions to live in these highly populated, very dense urban areas where we don't have the chance to be rejuvenated by land unless we go out hiking um, because we don't have access to land and we don't have access to land on purpose. Mm-hmm. That, that was systemic. It wasn't mm-hmm. like all of us woke up one day and we're like, you know what? I think I want to live in the projects. No, that was the redlining, you know, moving us to urban areas not allowing us to build credit, not allowing us to borrow, put us in these circumstances since this since this country began where most of people most people of color are living in those circumstances not by choice but because it was the only choice. You mm-hmm. know, so it, but the system is broken. It's mm-hmm. not working. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need the opportunity to connect with land, to feel okay. And when we do that, it's much easier to interact with our children. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Something um, that you mentioned earlier was this idea of like feeling like when in your childhood, not feeling safe. And something that I feel like speaking to that, what you just spoke to of like in parents and what to focus on or think about in being with your children right now, something that my daughter said to me recently, you know, is my oldest we've moved to amsterdam from new york very recently we literally got on a plane the day that the band came down um dang i know it was like like, um and there's a way in which we were planning for this future that now we're living in which is makes sense um and something that we're walking down the street one night because we take like these night walks here and when because no one's out and it's like feel safe and good and she said to us like how are you doing like how is it feeling being here and she said you know I feel safe I'm not worried about somebody coming in and like killing me in the middle of the night and I remember I was like wait what you know I was like wait what what what, what? I didn't even know that was something you were sitting with and I take for granted the fact that of course she lives she's growing up in a place where that is the talk even though we may have we've actually have been robbed before so that let me not say that that's not true but there's this way that i wasn't even as her parent conscious of how unsafe she feels every day because well just because i didn't want to look at it i imagine and now one of the gifts that this pandemic has brought and i think for so many children right now Feel, I mean, I know there are a lot. Of, I know there are children that their homes are not safe places for them, which is not about the pandemic or not the pandemic. That's a problem that needs to be fixed, regardless. But for so many children, and I would argue probably most, being with your family, knowing that they're going to be there, knowing that you don't have to navigate teachers that are don't treat you well and schools and buildings that are scary and like the all of those things those stressors to be gone is such a gift and i think that i i hope in part as part of this like dreaming of our future this feeling that so many children get to have the treat the feeling i long for the feeling that you spoke about longing for of just knowing that 
your parent is there that for so many of us people of color oppressed people in this world like you don't get to do that my mother was gone 16 hours out of a day most days you know like took the train came back like she's exhausted I'm like I don't even know how you do this um and for so many children that's not the case and as much as it like is a tight space and like we're on top of each other and all I would imagine that for many of our children what they hope we bring forward in our future is this togetherness and like this being connected and I think so much like here in Amsterdam um I'm so surprised by how I feel like, and this is me as a, you know, it's not my culture, but it's this way that I think the Dutch are like, they just, um, social distance is part of how they engage with each other. <laughs> like they just, they're not, tight, you know, like they're not like, and people have told me this about like Northern European, like they just, they'll see your kid fall on the floor and just walk past them. Like, that's just not what we do. Like they just are not, um, they're culturally, socially distancing. And I keep thinking like, for us, being con- physically in space, like you just talked about, um, I-, I thought that was like so tell. Like I've been having that same thought. Like there's like this extra oppression. You know how like this this pandemic is like just like it's just a little hard. Like not even a little hard. It's a lot harder. But like we just are feeling it in this different kind of way. It sucks for us in this like different another kind of like next kind of way. And one of the things I was thinking about was this idea of like, no, we're used, we we rely on each other. We rely on being able to touch and be in community with each other to get through. Like hanging out and like chopping it up in the backyard and like having, um, you know, gatherings. It's how we survive. It's how we connect. It's how we get through. And for so, like for an unforeseeable amount of time, we're not going to have that resource. Um, and so I'm wondering, what are you doing to stay connected with your community um, during this time? Hmm. Well, um, my cousin, my cousin aunt, Lisa, just passed away from the coronavirus last week. And um, it was really sad because... Normally we would, well, when I got the call that they were taking her off the ventilator, my mom called me, she was very upset. And we all got in the car and we went to the hospital, even though nobody could go in. And in the parking lot sitting there were, you know, like 30 cars of all my relatives and everybody was just waving at one another. Mm. And, um, And some people put on masks and got out and hugged her kids and said, you know, fuck it because she was crying in a parking lot outside of an emergency room and, you know, and I felt so, uh, I've never felt that kind of sadness before for loss because I felt alone in the sadness, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've always, we have all of these customs around death in my community, you know, that like when a person passes away, the whole family comes over to that, that child's house and they stay for four days and they feed them every meal and you can go there any time of day or night. And there's all these doings and prayers and ceremonies that happen for the next four days until that person is buried. And you're never alone. You know, you're always held by somebody. And um, and I couldn't even get out and, you know, like hug my brother. It was sad. Mm-hmm. And 
And then came the funeral and we couldn't have a funeral where normally 500 people from the tribe would all be there. You know, it was, it's a maximum of 10 people allowed to be there. And so we, um, a lot of people went to the cemetery, but they, everybody stayed in their cars, you know? And so I felt like the only way I was really able to talk to my whole family was online, you know, and everybody was really sharing with one another on Facebook, through Messenger and our closed groups on Zoom, you know, and, and it's, um, thank God for technology allowing us to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I, in that way, I felt connected, but I also felt really held up. You know, there was this moment at the cemetery when all of the cultural singers from Swinomish came out, uh, the Canoe family and and the leaders from the Smokehouse, and they had on masks. Um, but they came anyways, and they stood far apart from each other in the cemetery, and they sang, mm. and they sang long and loud. And it made me feel in that moment... Um, like it was, it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I felt comforted for the first time um, that I was standing there in that cemetery by myself. It's a really strange thing. I've never stood in a cemetery at a funeral by myself. You know, I've always been like holding somebody's hand or been held up in that moment. And so it was, um, I was really grateful for those teachings and for those songs, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in, in that moment. And, I think that's why we have these beautiful, these beautiful, the, 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 we have the arts in general, you know, and mm-hmm, we can all turn to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really good place for all of us to turn, you know, turn to music and and uh, turn to food, you know, like these, these soul things that get us through. Mm-hmm. Thank you so very much for being with us, um, for sharing your story. I feel like you just, I was just teleported to that. Um, graveside and like I could hear it even though I've never heard it before I don't even know what the sound is but I could feel the sound in my body as you shared your story Um, and I think something that I do want to take into this next world and I do want to reclaim from all of our past and our ancestors is this incredible will to survive like to like the like just keep saying every time I talk to anybody and like you are reinvigorating that into my spirit right now like we our job right now is to survive for our children for this world and as we do that it will come you know like the sun is going to shine the bird like all of it the earth is going to heal itself and our job is just to survive. And so thank you so much, Matika, for being with us. Mm. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And um, I'll send my love and good energy and vibrations out to all of you, whoever's listening, and to you in your homes as well. I've been thinking a lot about portals and the feeling of transition. I feel like we're all in a big portal right now. Um, A big prolonged time of transition. And when you get through a portal and you find yourself on the other side, there's like 
you can just feel it. You just know it. And um, on March 11th, which I mentioned before, um, my family and I boarded a plane from New York City, JFK Airport, and traveled to Amsterdam, Netherlands. And when we got off the plane, I remember like this anxiety around if we'd get through. Like we were close. We had like flown there. We'd woken up. We'd got the plane um, in the midst of the beginning of the coronavirus. And everything felt like uncertain and scary and the adrenaline, like a lot of adrenaline. And I remember we went through immigration and it was just so smooth. They were so welcoming. It was so like easy easier than any time I have gone through immigration in the U.S., even as an American citizen. And I remember gathering our bags and walking through the airport and getting to the glass doors. Um, That was the exit to the outside and pushing through, um, well, the pushing our luggage through um, the glass doors and this this feeling of euphoria just kind of came over my entire body. I will never forget it as long as I live. Um, like it's like if it was like a a deep, 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 deep exhale. Like I felt it. I felt lighter, like I was floating, like like I didn't even know that things were holding me down, like emotionally I was being held down. But as soon as I stepped into the air, I remember looking over to Hamaro and my girls running around and just feeling like we made it. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. Why not just get together and live in one love and one unity, you know? Rebel in the morning, rebel in the evening, too. Now, don't you be like a devil when I play with sounds called a rebel, rebel, rebel. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 